name is Troy, and welcome to another episode of Sound Off Leadership Lessons with the AOT. Our mission here is to inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. I'm Cadet Fuentes. And I'm Cadet Shin. And today's guest is Major Dean Kazi. Morning, sir. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, sir. So to start off, uh, why don't you uh, tell our guests where you're originally from? Uh, first, thank you for putting this together. Thank you all. Uh, that part of this team for uh, signing up to be in ROTC. That's uh, one step beyond a lot of other folks who sign up for service. Um, and then as you commit further and further and, and actually join active duty, uh, you become part of a more exclusive club uh, of people who have served in uniform. So uh, I'll say thank you to all for the commitment that you're making. And even if you don't finish the program, um, it, it's a great opportunity uh, to, to have been a part of. And I think uh, hopefully you, you take a lot away from it in your time here uh, in the ROTC program. But to answer your question, um, where am I originally from? I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Bangladesh. Uh, my family and I moved uh, to Southern California when I was eight and uh, grew up in Orange County for the most part. I uh, went to high school. And uh, so I'm, I'm a Southern California guy uh, for the most part, uh, other than that, that background of having uh, been from a third world country, which I value and I remember quite a bit. I think it's uh, helped me in my development. Uh, my origins uh, in understanding a lot of different things and appreciating more importantly the opportunities that we have in the United States. So building off of the idea of opportunities, what made you decide to join the Air Force or the military in general? Um, so I think a lot of folks in my uh, age group will, will have a the same answer. So it almost sounds cliche, but 9-11 is the short answer. And on that day in 2001, I was uh, in high school, I believe I was a junior um, in history class at the back corner of the classroom, uh, watching the TV as, um, as the discussion in, in New York went on. Uh, not quite fully grasping what was going on, but knowing that something was big. And I think that's when I started understanding, you know, history and politics and all those types of things. And uh, I continued on uh, to graduate high school and went to college. And uh, in 2005, uh, I decided I didn't want to be on the sidelines anymore. And I enlisted. That was the height of the Iraq war. I think that year was when we had the most amount of casualties. And um, I believe that every generation had its battle and this was mine. And um, whether right, wrong, whether agree, disagree, it didn't matter. But I wanted to be a part of that and <clears throat> part of that history. So I uh, took a semester off of college and I enlisted as a uh, C-5 crew chief as a reservist. So that was what I thought I could do at the minimum at the time without dropping out of college, but still being able to serve. So balancing two, and that after I graduated, I would serve full time. Uh, so I joined the military uh, out of service, selfless service, uh, I think. And I think it was, it was truly a selfless act at the time. But what ended up happening is I got so much out of it um, that I didn't know that I would get because I knew nothing about the military. And I ended up benefiting a lot uh, from education uh, to personal development, to friends, to experiences and travel. Uh, I can go on and on, uh, but uh, I ended up getting a lot out of it. And I continued to commit more and more, which is how I ended up in active duty. Well, first ROTC, then active duty. Uh, so that's the long answer. Short answer, 911, and that was the long answer. <laughs> you mentioned uh, being in ROTC before you became active duty. Do you have any specific moments in uh, Air Force ROTC that defined you as a leader and an officer once you joined the Air Force? 
I think um, being an immigrant and trying to assimilate into a different culture, uh, you always got a, a challenge ahead of you. And one of the things I think I learned early on and, and um, this was solidified in ROTC and my ROTC experience is never saying no to yourself. Uh, meaning that if you want something, don't tell yourself that you can't do it or it's not possible or it requires this or that action, therefore it's not possible. Uh, always keep going until the door is actually set, shut. And even then try to find another way around. And I'll give you the story of my ROTC experience to um, I'll give you an example. When I came back from tech school, uh, I went back to college and the first week, you guys know it's club week. A lot of times all the different clubs on campus have tables set up and uh, they recruit people uh, for their programs. And then I saw, I went to Catholic Fullerton, I saw a ROTC booth. Hey, I just joined the military. I wear that uniform. Let me go see what this is about. I didn't know what ROTC was. And then I went and talked to these Air Force, fellow Air Force people and I learned what ROTC was. The cadre member, the captain, found out I was already enlisted as a reservist and she kind of didn't take an interest in trying to recruit me because I was already contracted. She didn't think it was possible for me uh, to actually sign up uh, and be a, become a cadet because I was already a, a service member. But the cadet that was there, uh, she provided a lot of information, even had multiple follow-up uh, conversations with me about the program, invited me out to Blue Lab, uh, and then really got me interested in the program when uh, I was kind of a lost cause for the captain, right? So a quick note I'll say is you guys as cadets, as you're recruiting or you're talking to other people, the amount of impact that you can have like that cadet had on me can be life-changing, okay? So keep that in mind as you promote our, our, the Air Force and as you promote that ROTC program, there's an opportunity at every corner to be able to make a lifelong impact just as that cadet had done for me. But anyway, um, she didn't think it was possible. Well, I started showing up to lead lab and I kept showing up. Okay, she didn't think that I could get out of my enlisted contract to contract with Afroxy and sign up for a scholarship in the same semester. Well, I got a waiver through to the NAF commander, a general, to get out of my contract, enlisted contract, just so a conditional release so I could contract as a cadet. And you guys know what uh, challenges there are with contracting as a cadet, all the paperwork and the tests and the uh, examination you got to have and do. Uh, so I was able to accomplish all of that in one one semester, right? And uh, she didn't think that I could because all of those things were so difficult. So that's what I mean, never saying no to yourself. Uh, I didn't say no to myself and I kept asking the right people to help me along the way. My chain of command as uh, at my unit up at Travis as a reservist advocated for me, got me the waiver that I needed. Uh, the chain of command at ROTC, I kept uh, talking to them and impressing them. So they advocated for me to do things faster and I was able to contract very quickly. Now figure out a way to get it done if you want something bad enough. Uh, and if the doors are shut on you, find another way in. That's the lesson there. So building off of this idea that of the lessons that you learned from Air Force ROTC, do you have um, specific things that you can say that you applied to your life in active duty from Air Force ROTC? Like maybe any stories or? Um, after I came back as a POC, you know, we help a lot of the GMC, right? And you see a lot of GMC fall off in their first year to second year, they, they find different things. And one of the things I took away, um, not only from my own personal experience, but my interactions with those GMC cadets, is opportunity is not 
while it may be available to us, it's not equal to all of us the same, right? Everybody has different circumstances that make opportunity what it is. An opportunity for me is not the opportunity for cadet so-and-so because they have different realities and different circumstances that changes that opportunity slightly, right? I think it's easy to say, well, I did it, why can't you? It, it doesn't, it's not as simplistic as that. There's things like interest, things like health, there's financial stakes, are they working two, three jobs? Can they afford to be going to class, an extra class and doing leadership lab? Uh, do they have the transportation? Do they have the support of their family? Those are all variables that are different for all of us uh, that changes the opportunity. And I've uh, dealt with a lot of cadets who didn't come from the best of means and didn't have the most confidence going up and were intimidated being in that environment and so forth and so forth. So that opportunity for me, right, who was a go-getter, was aggressive and wanted to do certain things in, in my life, it wasn't the same opportunity for somebody else. And perhaps that they needed extra attention, right, extra help to get going. Some cadets didn't want it bad enough. Some cadets needed the help initially and they succeeded, right? Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, not everybody uh, has the same variables that you have. So that makes opportunity a different, it gives opportunity a different meaning to different people. So sort of branching off from uh, lessons or leadership, do uh, you have any like sort of favorite fond memories from your time in uh, Air Force ROTC? I do. Uh, besides the great friends I've made uh, that I, I keep in contact with to this day, um, I, I had the fondest memory of my final semester where I was the cadet operations officer, um, operations group commander, I think uh, is what you really call it. And um, I got to do that with one of my best friends, closest friends uh, in ROTC as the wing commander. And I had a lot of rain in figuring out what we were doing on each lead lab. And I think about half the time we were off site somewhere doing some sort of cool training. Uh, I've arranged for us to go shoot at Los Alamitos gun range and go to the beach doing different tactics or other bases, LA Air Force Base to do some sort of immersion or training with an actual unit. And uh, we had a blast that semester. Everybody enjoyed being off-site. Everybody enjoyed doing things that were military-related and learning something new and different. Uh, and the cadre said that was perhaps the best lead lab semester that ever ever done. So I have very fond memories of that opportunity. And I was able to make a pretty big impact as the ops officer, operations group commander um, that semester. And that was very important. What is something that you wish you knew about service when you were in Air Force ROTC and when you first left our Air Force ROTC and entered active duty? That's a that's a really good question. And uh, and you're going to hear this term when you active, enter active duty, and it really applies for anything in life, not just active duty, but bloom where you're planted. Uh, what that means is uh, you're going to be put in a job where you're not fully prepared to execute, right? You're never going to be fully prepared to do the job you're placed in, um, in the military. And that might be the case in the civilian world as well. Uh, but you get some on the job training and, and you have to trust that you, you're going to have the resources uh, provided to you by the institution and the bureaucracy to be successful. Okay. So if you do your best in the job you're assigned today, you're going to figure out a way to perform because the resources are there. And then it's going to get you to the next job. So every job that you have today is just training for the job you're going to have tomorrow. Keep that in mind, okay? Because today's job 
is all in preparation to get you to a certain endpoint, to be a manager of our organization, to be a senior executive of our organization. There's a career trajectory and path that you're on. And it's hard to know that as a second lieutenant, as a first lieutenant, um, the bigger picture of things. But trust that there's resources around you to make you successful while you may not feel like you're ready. Uh, and that uh, there's another plan for you uh, down the road based off of how you perform. So wherever you are, bloom, bloom where you're planted. Uh, sort of moving on from Air Force RTC to more of your life as an active duty officer, uh, would you mind explaining to us what your AFSC is? Sort of like your main responsibilities, uh, what your day-to-day -day looks like, sort of that stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love my career field. And uh, very few people will talk to you about this with the same enthusiasm as I do for my career field. It's just uh, my passion and calling. And perhaps I, I learned to love it, but I think there's a part of me that enjoys uh, business operations and always has. Uh, so it's a perfect match. But I'm a 21-hour logistics readiness officer. I like to call myself a supply chain manager, um, an enterprise-level supply chain manager. But uh, most of the folks in my career field and most of the training and jobs are focused on the retail level of the supply chain, right? We're, we're talking about when we talk about a spear and the tip of the spear, where the warfighter is and the butt of the spear, where kind of like the wholesale stuff is, where contracting and purchasing and material management, manufacturing, all that stuff is. Well, if that's the spear, majority of our time is at the tip of the spear because we're the warfighters. We're, we're bringing the heat to the enemy. Uh, but having said that, there's five main functions that are associated um, that we do. So we do supply management and warehousing, right? We do fuel storage and distribution, uh, deployment planning and processing, and uh, air and ground cargo and passenger uh, transportation operations. Uh, so all of those terms are supply chain management terms. People use that synonymously with logistics. But uh, at the end of the day, all we're doing is uh, making, moving people where they need to be, moving stuff where they need to be at the point of need and the point of execution. Our career field used to be three different career fields that have been merged together. Uh, so that's why it is such a broad um, thing to be an LRO. Overall, at some point in my career field, I have supervised and managed nine different enlisted AFSCs. That's how broad uh, the, the career field is. When you talk about the tactical level, we do a lot of different functions. But overall, as an LRO, I'm a manager of logistics functions. Um, and, and I have to know just enough to be able to manage the organization and guide my troops, uh, but I don't have to be able to execute the job like they have to uh, at that, that tactical proficiency. Why did you decide to pursue this career field? So I was a business admin major and uh, I was very interested in business operations. And uh, this the description of this career field seemed like exactly what I wanted to do. Um, you know, second and third options was contracting, again, business related, and then um, force support, um, business related. What does a force support officer do? They manage a golf course, they manage a uh, hotel and a restaurant, a DFAC, um, and, and a lot of other base services and functions like that. So business-minded person here, uh, but LRO was absolutely the right, right area for me. What is unique about your AFSC and uh, do you have any uh, sort of more favorite parts about your AFSC specifically? I love the fact that we are, we have an enterprise wide effect. Uh, so I talked to you about the retail level, like at the bases, 
Um, and that's where a lot of our jobs are, right? And you think about, oh, where am I going to go on my first assignment? I'm going to go to this base and that base. I'm going to do the operations of that base. Uh, as an LRO, you can be at an organization that has enterprise level oversight management, like I do in my current job. So you can be doing your job at a base, but be managing assets for the entire and operations for an entire, uh, the entire Air Force. Uh, so about the impact that you can have. So if, you, if I can change the mission readiness of just a few assets, it's going to have exponential uh, impact Air Force wide. And it's going to help our readiness levels. And that's what really drives me is the impact that I can have from changes, the minute changes having a massive impact on, on the output of readiness and mission accomplishment. So what do you think are some challenges that you faced in your AFSC and how did you overcome them? Um, we're in the people business and with people, uh, you always have challenges with, uh, you know, whether it's them doing their job and maybe having to discipline them or uh, tragic events happening in people's lives and those types of things. And, and those aren't necessarily uh, a bad thing. That's just life. And as when you're a manager of a lot of people, um, you're going to face them and, and it, it's not just operations based, right? The difference between a career in the military and a career uh, in a private company as a CEO or a high level manager somewhere is that when work ends, your responsibilities end. But with the military, just because your airman or, or your friend has gone home, your responsibilities and your duties uh, and your oversight hasn't ended. We're pretty much all encompassing. Um, that's not a complaint. That's just something that is uh, adds to as another variable that adds to your day and, and the challenges that you face on top of operations and the mission. And how you overcome them, you rely on the experts, you rely on your enlisted uh, advisors, you rely on the first sergeant, you rely on the resources that are available to you, uh, rely on your mentors. Like I mentioned earlier, you're going to be given the resources. You're never fully trained for the job you're going to be put in. You might have a troop who's had uh, you know, a parent pass away and they now have to go home to go see their parent, for example. You're not going to know what to do, but trust that there's going to be people uh, that will advise you and exactly what you need to do and how to take care of that airman uh, along the way. Make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, really important stuff right there. Do you think there's any challenges that uh, as part of your AFSC that would might resonate specifically with Apparatsy cadets in general? I mean, to tie some logistics piece to it, right? To put the operations of a lead lab together, to put every lead lab in the plan for it, and you guys get the experience of an importance of planning uh, and being able to anticipate issues, implement weather plans you guys do, put together PT plans, having a plan for that. All of those things, Afroxy is a um, somewhat, uh, in a way, a simulation of what you might face in a uh, Air Force organization, right? Uh, you have similar org structure, you have certain customs and courtesies, you have positions and functions and roles and responsibilities, and you have to do some future planning, you have to think things through, you have to have standards and discipline, much like what you have to do in the Air Force. Uh, and as an LRO, you guys are doing a lot of those things uh, already as a cadet and planning things and, and getting things and people from point A to point B, the point of need or execution that I described it earlier. And you guys are getting good practice on, on some of that in concept, uh, but it may not be 
with the title, right? You're not doing it as an LRO, but you're doing the functions of what a supply chain manager might do. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, can you tell us about any deployments that you've been on recently? Sure, uh, I, I have loved my, I've been on three deployments so far. Two of them um, were with the special operations community. Uh, the first one being out in the Pacific, uh, deployed out to the Philippines. And then uh, the second one was to the Middle East. Uh, and the second one, I, I got to run a special ops camp where we modified a lot of equipment and, and weapons to be um, forwarded uh, even further down the, down the tip of the spear. Uh, so getting to manage Marines and um, sailors and um, soldiers and airmen in that camp and, and a lot of contractors was really cool. Uh, and, and knowing and seeing on TV some of the assets that um, maybe we have had something to do with and, and forwarding up to, to the warfighter um, was really cool and uh, very rewarding. But like I said, that's that's a job I had as a captain wasn't necessarily prepared for, but I certainly had the resources and the people around me to be successful and, and get the job done. And it was absolutely uh, fulfilling and been a lot of fun. So earlier we asked you about if you had any memories, uh, favorite memories in Afroatsi, but uh, moving on to active duty, do you have any favorite memories of your current time in active duty so far? A lot of memories related to people, you know, not just your subordinates and your airmen and your troops, but also your peers and your friends. Um, I was at Misawa, a pretty remote base in northern Japan, and uh, the American base community is kind of isolated and, and keeps to themselves. And we made a group of friends, my wife and I, that we keep in touch on a daily basis to this day, right? And so the times we had out in Misawa, uh, with those people and, and that family was absolutely something we, we carry with us today and of course along the way the people that you've been able to help right mentoring um an airman who was interested in commissioning i did that uh, and had lunch with him and we drew up a map on how he was going to apply for three different uh, commissioning programs and uh, just i think two months ago uh, he was a second lieutenant uh, and uh, he was um, accepted into the Space Force and he was in the area. He came and we had, had coffee and then followed up and uh, it, it was one of the more rewarding things that, that I've done to, to know that I was able to impact that airman. Uh, I don't really take credit for it because it was all him. He sought out somebody who could help him and all I was was that person who just helped him along the path he was already on. And uh, it makes me very proud uh, to be associated with people like that who are very driven and uh, know what they want and figure out a way to get there. Uh, I'll tie in what I said earlier, never close the door on yourself. Always figure out a way uh, to get through even if other people shut it. In the same line of thought about cadets who are looking to um, push forward in the Air Force, what advice would you give to cadets who are interested in pursuing your specific AFSC, maybe in terms of like what they might have to go through or something that you think would be best for them to do in order to reach that um, level. If you're operate, uh, interested in uh, business operations, if you're interested in dealing with people and managing processes and functions at all, uh, this is a very good career field for you to consider. Uh, I'm, I love my career field. It's the absolute perfect job for me. 
but I'm not naive enough to think that is the absolute perfect job for everybody else. Uh, so I, all I can do is kind of uh, tell you my experience and what the job entails as an LRO. And I think you need to make that decision for yourself if that's something that uh, you might be interested in. Um, and it's something that is going to challenge you every day. It's like I mentioned, uh, today's job is only to prepare you for the job you're going to have tomorrow. Um, of course, you're going to be expected to perform and, and do well and learn, but it is a stepping stone. And that, that progression of rank and responsibilities and uh, development that we have uh, set up as, as a career field, um, it's going to be continuous. And you will be more capable every day. You will learn more every day. You will be challenged more every day. And you will be put in places uh, and situations where you're expected to lead very early on. My first assignment um, out of ROTC, I went to Kadena Air Base in Japan. My first flight, I was put in as a flight commander and it was the largest logistics readiness squadron in the Air Force. And subsequently it was the largest material management flight in the Air Force. So as a 23 year old second lieutenant, I was now in charge of um, 170 people with really no idea what they did. But as I said, the Air Force will give you the resources to succeed. In that position, I had a chief master sergeant who worked for me. Uh, I had three senior master sergeants who worked for me. I had seven master sergeants in my flight who worked for me. And they all took me under their wings. And, and I'm honored to say they, they thought I was deserving enough for their mentorship. And, and they mentored the heck out of me. And uh, I think that helped me get started on the right foot in my career. And I think back to those early days and uh, how fortunate I was to have a lot of people um, who looked out for me, protected me, taught me, and, and showed me the right way of doing things. I stood up every time I walked in through the doors. They called me sir every opportunity uh, they got. Uh, and they didn't have to, right? Uh, a second lieutenant knows nothing about their job, but that was the right thing. And uh, they did that and showed me what right was. And I'm very fortunate for it. Well, that's some great uh, experiences and advice for them. Um, Moving on to uh, sort of in general uh, advice, what are some traits or skills that you think are essential for a leader to possess uh, when going into the Air Force? There's a lot. And <clears throat> I'll start by saying I have a different outlook on, on the word leader and leadership and, and management. I think a lot of times when we talk about leadership, we're really talking about um, management skills. Uh, I believe that leadership is the application of the management skills. And we're all leaders to an extent. But the difference in our leadership styles is how we apply those management skills that we're taught. So I don't think you can be taught leadership, you can be taught management skills. You can be helped to develop your leadership by give, be given opportunities. So anytime you're put in a position or a job, you've been given the opportunity to develop your leadership skills. You can gain management skills from a class or a book, but it's your application of those skills that, that make you the leader that you are. So, Understanding the, the leader that you are is one of the natural leader that you are is one of the key things. And then as knowing what you're naturally good at, you will know what you're naturally necessarily not good at. So understanding your weaknesses is just as important so that you can cover your blind spots and account for them. Uh, so things like being able to show empathy, right? You can be Sheldon or you can be the most empathetic person in the world, right? And, and so you gotta know where you naturally fall so that you can adjust and deliver the right amount of empathy uh, to the situation that you need if you're not naturally empathetic. So uh, I would say it is all about understanding the leader that you are, your strengths and weaknesses, 
and being able to account for those weaknesses and keeping them in mind so that you can you can be effective in whatever situation you're put in. And finally, do you have any final remarks or advice for our cadets of Debt 60? I'll say one thing. Um, it is important to think about who you believe your peers are. Here's what I mean. Uh, do you think your peers are other cadets only? Do you believe when you commission your peers are other second lieutenants? Or do you believe they're all CGOs to include captains? Do you believe they're all officers? Or do you believe they're all young professionals? What you believe your peer group is has a lot uh, of impact on what you think you can accomplish. Um, and, and this is something I've learned through experience is if you consider that your peer group are all young professionals, well, there's a lot of people doing a lot of special things if that's the group that you, you believe you belong to. Uh, to include, right, coming up with new technologies from uh, social networking to um, biotechnology to artificial intelligence, developing vaccines within a year, um, doing amazing things in the realm of sports, becoming professionals at 16, 17, 18 years. So if you, the wider you, you grow your peer aperture, um, you gotta be careful not to compare your accomplishments with theirs, but what will, it will help you do is understand what is possible. So sometimes you might be in a section as a second lieutenant, first job, where you say, oh man, these people's attitudes are really bad. I can't change this. Well, if you think that your peer groups are doing something incredible and that you belong in that peer group and that you're capable of doing some outstanding things, you're gonna figure out a way to impact those people. You're gonna go learn something about organizational behavior and culture to be able to impact their attitudes. You're gonna figure out things about process management and maybe go get a green belt certification to be able to improve that process uh, and make that organization better. Because it's all possible. It's a matter of what you think you are capable of doing and what peer group you, you put yourself in and it has something to do with your outlook on it. Uh, so always think of what you, who you think your peers are. And for me, you know, I, I like to think that my peer group are professionals of my age doing things, you know, and, and unfortunately that put LeBron James as my peer group and, and that's not the right way to look at it. <laughs> but um, if LeBron James can run this empire uh, and, and, and play basketball and take care of his body, right? I might be capable of taking care of my squadron and overcoming these things that have happened over the last three or four days outside of my control of running the operations of this organization and impacting an enterprise um, with the responsibilities I'm, I'm given, right? So that's what I mean. It's not that I'm comparing my dollars to LeBron James's. Uh, what I like to think is, is if LeBron James and, and, and my peer group are capable of some great things, perhaps maybe I can do too. And every challenge uh, is an opportunity to prove that to myself. All right, thank you so much. For that answer, I can definitely say that I've been inspired by my fellow cadets at Dead60. But thank you, Major Dean Cosby, for sharing your experiences and advice with all of us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Sound Off, Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy. Our music today was mixed by Cadet Rowett Minnan. You can check out the AOT on our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, airmenoftroy.org. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Major Dean Kazi as much as we did. 
And remember, sound off and fight on.